From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Welcome to Hour 2. We are discussing the secret Pentagon UFO study. This was a story that was exposed on December the 16th in the New York Times. Let me read from this again now that I have my computer up and uh, working. Glowing Auras and Black Money, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program. Again, authors Helene Cooper, Ralph Blumenthal, and Leslie Kane. In the $600 billion annual Defense Department budgets, the $22 million spent on the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program was almost impossible to find, which was how the Pentagon wanted it. For years, the program investigated reports of unidentified flying objects, according to Defense Department officials, interviews with program participants, and records obtained by the New York Times. It was run by a military intelligence official, Luis Elizondo, on the fifth floor of the Pentagon's C-Ring, deep within the building's maze. The defense never before acknowledged the existence of the program, which it says it shown in 2012, but its backers say that while the Pentagon ended funding for the effort at that time, the program remains in existence. For the past five years, they say, officials with the program have continued to investigate episodes brought to them by service members while also carrying out their own their other Defense Department duties. The shadowy program, parts of it remain classified, began in 2007 and initially it was largely funded at the request of Harry Reid, the Nevada Democrat who was the Senate Majority Leader at the time and who has long had an interest in space phenomena. Most of the money went to an aerospace research company run by a billionaire entrepreneur and longtime friend of Mr. Reed's, Robert Bigelow, who is currently working with NASA to produce expandable craft for humans to use in space. On CBS's 60 Minutes in May, Mr. Bigelow said he was absolutely convinced that aliens exist and that UFOs have visited Earth. Working with Mr. Bigelow's Las Vegas-based company, the program produced documents that described sightings of aircraft that seemed to move at very high velocities, with no visible signs of propulsion, or that hovered with no apparent means of lift. Officials with the program have also studied videos of encounters between unknown objects and American military aircraft, including one released in August of a whitish oval object about the size of a commercial plane chased by two Navy F-A-18F fighter jets from the aircraft carrier Nimitz off the coast of San Diego back in 2004. Mr. Reed, who retired from Congress this year, said he was proud of the program. Quote, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed or sorry I got this thing going, end quote. Mr. Reed said in a recent interview in Nevada, I think it's one of the good things I did in my congressional service. I've done something that no one has done before. All right. Joining us on the panel, Victor Vigiani, the executive director of Zeland Communications, and Derek Gilbert and Josh Peck, co-authors of The Day the Earth Stands Still, unmasking the old gods behind ET's UFOs and the official disclosure uh, movement. Now, uh, we have sort of had a kind of a far-flung philosophical discussion. I want to bring it back to the Pentagon program, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And uh, talk about the uh, the video that was released in August, but I believe as part of the New York Times story, the Pentagon also released the transcripts of the conversations that the pilots that encountered this aircraft had. I want to bring it back to you, Victor. 
Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts of this video, this U.S. military jet encountering this unknown object? This, again, dates back to uh, 2004 off the coast of San Diego. It's very uh, interesting, the, the way the, uh, the video was played out. I looked at it several times, and I compared it quite closely to a video that was, ironically enough, distributed by the Mexican Air Force when they had their jets. I'm not sure exactly what kind of jets they were that saw the objects, a fleet of objects. It was relatively recently, and these jets captured with their infrared cameras virtually the same kind of activity of a group of objects, and very similar in nature. Um, and when you listen to the pilots in, uh, in Spanish speak, uh, they're describing things that are doing weird uh, maneuvers in the sky, and you get the same kind of crackling voices and right. all of that. And you compare that to um, this current uh, video that we're discussing right now, is very similar in nature. It was 2004, uh, it, incidentally. That that was, so it's the same year as the, the U.S. Correct. Navy yes. pilot, 2004, yes. and this was the Mexican Air Force. That's right, exactly. I'm glad you got that little tidbit of information. Um, in any case, uh, when you compare the two videos, they're they're very similar. So what does that mean? Uh, does that mean that both the Mexican Air Force um, and the United States Air Force are fabricating these things to throw everybody a, a curveball and to... Uh, you know, to, to cast more doubt on what these objects might be and on all those questions, or uh, or, or is it a real phenomenon that they're, that they're seeing? There's no middle ground here. There's something either real or not real about it. And I think we have to deal with what, deal with that uh, at the level of, of specificity that we can. There's no way that we can actually prove that these pilots saw that kind of thing unless, you know, you open up a congressional hearing on a specific incident. Um, and with, you know, testif- testifying uh, in front of a con- congressional group as to the veracity of what these pilots saw. Uh, and even that might not even get the information out. So we're always going to be confronted by doubt in this whole, in this whole situation. And, and I might remind our listeners that this is not the first time that uh, the, the United States government has uh, launched some sort of uh, diatribe at the people who are uh, attempting to uh, hide the information. Back in 1960, Roscoe Hillencutter, uh, Vice Admiral uh, in the Navy, the first um, uh, director of the CIA, said very, very clearly that uh, this this issue had to be looked at, and it's time for the truth to be brought out about these these flying saucers, all these UFOs. So the, the Congress has been challenged many, many times uh, to bring this information forward, and I, I see this particular video as fairly good, fairly substantial evidence that this thing needs to be looked at um, in, in an official way by Congress, and not necessarily to, to give it validity, but to give it its place in history and to, to allow people to hear their elected representatives toss around terms like extraterrestrial or, or, or UFOs or, um, you know, different kinds of, uh, you know, free energy propulsion systems and not ours, all that kind of language that we need to engage in to raise the idea that these craft just may not be our own. So um, I think this, 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 this video really points to the fact that we need to look at this a little bit more carefully than we're doing right now. So it may, in the end, be a, a, nothing more than a conversation starter, and we can quibble as to whether it's real or not. Now, your colleague and a good friend of the program as well, Grant Cameron, recently interviewed mm-hmm. aviator John Lear, and John Lear, not convinced at all, that's uh, putting it lightly, that he thinks this particular video is a complete fabrication. But that doesn't, obviously, that doesn't change your perspective in terms of, okay, well, we can argue that, but let's do it in front of a congressional hearing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole idea of a court of law or some sort of body that can really, as I said earlier, raise the level of conversation and inquiry about what this stuff really is. And then it's just a starting point. As you say, it's a, it's a conversation starter that most people, most in media, most television networks just aren't willing to have. And I think that the idea of, uh, you know, everybody on the planet, you know, trying to put bread on their table and provide their families with clean drinking water and an education, that's what they're concerned about right now. And that, that's all fine and good. I think we need to be concerned about those issues. But we also need to, to be concerned about the fate of the planet. And I think that kind of conversation will lead us into that direction of raising the larger issues of what this phenomenon just might be. Derek and Josh, did you have a comment on the, um, the, uh, the video that was released? Well, sure. Um, now, I, I, I'm, no, I'm certainly no uh, video editing or, or, or video fabrication expert. Uh, there are a few, uh, because I, I actually do video editing for a living, but, uh, you know, fabrication is something totally different. There are a few telltale signs to say if something is faked. Now, that's not definitive, because if the, if the government wanted to fabricate something, they're going to have sophisticated stuff that... It, it would be beyond, way beyond, you know, you know my expertise. Uh, the, the, the couple of little telltale things that come up that most people don't think about when they make, you know, th- there are people out there that'll make, uh, uh, you know, UFO videos for YouTube, and you know, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that people don't normally think about, they're easy to pick out. I didn't get, I, I didn't get any of that in, in either video, uh, the one that recently came out, and then the one that. Uh, uh, Victor talked about from uh, from a few years ago because I, rem- I remember that one as well. Uh, but again, it's the government, so I wouldn't expect to. <laughs> you know, if they're going to fabricate a video, it's probably going to look pretty good. Uh, now, at the same remember, time, I think we need um, to remember though that the Department of Defense said that they aren't the ones who released this video. So this is not something right. that came from the Department of Defense, at least not officially. This is something that Luis Elizondo, who resigned for the Department of Defense to take a rather lucrative position with this new uh, company to the Stars Academy. The Tom really. DeLong outfit, yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So is this actually a government op? Or Again, are we out of line in asking, you know, is this just a marketing ploy for a company that is still soliciting for investors on the front page, the landing page of its website? Interesting. Well, <laughs> that's a very cynical world view, I suppose. But uh, hey, we have to be cynical. You know, those of us that have been around long enough to be beaten down come by that perspective honestly. No question. Sure. We could even talk about like, what if it were real? What, you know, what's more scary? And this actually might be why the government seems to be hiding something. Maybe the thing that they're hiding, and this is something that I've thought about throughout this the whole process of writing this book. Is it more scary to think that the government is hiding actual knowledge? They know what this is, but they don't want to tell us. Or is it even scarier that maybe they don't know either? Maybe they're in the same boat as we are. You know, maybe they know a couple little things that we don't, but overall they don't know what this phenomena is, and that's the thing that they're actually hiding from the rest of us, because if anything's going to throw people into mass hysteria, I could see that being well, something. There is a third, uh, even perhaps even a scarier option. They know exactly what it is, but there's nothing anybody can do about it. We'll discuss. Derek Gilbert, Josh Peck, Victor Vigiani, stay with us. Our roundtable, the UFO study conducted in secret by the Pentagon. We'll uh, continue after this timeout. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
a programming note next week on The Conspiracy Show. Blogger, podcast host George Freund uh, will be uh, with me to uh, kind of a, a look back at 2017 and a look ahead at uh, 2018, and we'll uh, we'll cover a lot of ground. We'll talk geopolitics, we'll talk artificial intelligence, the transhumanist movement, political intrigue, subterfuge. Then in the second hour, Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be uh, with me to talk about curses. We'll talk about the Hope Diamond, the James Dean curse. And also kind of a paranormal news roundup, some interesting stories in the news of a paranormal nature. Uh, right now, we continue with our uh, two-hour roundtable discussion on the secret Pentagon study. And uh, the actual name is the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. The Pentagon insists, or the Defense Department rather, insists it was shut down in 2012. However... The whistleblower, the man at the center of this story, the military intelligence official Luis Elizondo, says that's not true. It is ongoing. In fact, he says, they have named a successor after he stepped down in October, which is rather interesting. Let me get Victor Vigiani back in here and get your reaction to um, Elizondo's statement. And he wrote a letter to Defense uh, Secretary General Mattis saying, I don't know why we're not paying more attention to this, certainly echoing your sentiments, but the fact that they have named a successor, that's rather interesting, wouldn't you say, Victor? Yes, I I would say it's extremely interesting, and uh, I think that any indication that this program is continuing quite well proves my point that this has been going on for a long, long time, and we only know a little bit about what's really going on behind the scenes. And I think that something like this, to name a successor to a program, means that they have either in some way, shape, or form extended some sort of funding uh, for this particular program, or in some other way they're doing it on a shoestring. But the fact of the matter is that the investigation continues, and I think that it would be foolish of anyone to even assume remotely that the United States government would toss all of this investigation uh, into the waste bin and just let it stay there and rot. Uh, that just simply is not happening, cannot happen, because uh, everything that all of our um, fine researchers, uh, you know, Richard Dolan, uh, Stanton Friedman, uh, Nick Pope, all of these people clearly have indicated with, with specific documents, historical documents dating back to the early 1950s, that the government has been doing this for a long time. Now, my question would be, if the successor does have his reins on horses that are pulling this whole chariot forward into newer realms of investigation, I think it's incumbent upon the new boss of this Pentagon program to come forward and begin to release some of their investigation findings. What, in fact, have they found with this $2 million allotment? Uh, What are some of the specific things that they have come to learn about the extraterrestrial presence or uh, UFOs or whatever these things might be? And uh, the big conundrum that I'm faced with is why would they be examining, unless they're not part of the shadow government, why would they be examining their own craft? That, that to me, is an untenable position. If they think that they're investigating uh, their own craft, they're seriously deceiving themselves. That this is, you know, that's like looking in the mirror and not recognizing yourself. It just doesn't make any sense at all. So, by just by default, the default position, they must be examining something that is not uh, within the wheelhouse of uh, of what um, our craft can do. They must be examining uh, craft of some sort of uh, non-Earth origin. 
so I mean, if if there is a if there is a uh, a new person in charge, he's got a lot of questions to answer before he begins to uh, delve more deeply into this. Derek and Josh, your thoughts on Victor's statement that uh, uh, there's no way that the uh, the, the Pentagon would be investigating their own craft. What about the idea of compartmentalization? You know, one hand doesn't necessarily know what the other hand is doing, and this is how secrecy is maintained and how conspiracies are crafted, essentially. Right. I'll say one quick thing, and then I'll pass it off to Derek. I don't believe even in the most mundane interpretations of this phenomena that we're uh, examining our own craft. That, <laughs> Like Victor said, that was ridiculous. But enemy craft, now it might be that, I don't believe it could all be that. But even if a certain percentage is, I could see why possibly the government might want to kind of hide behind the UFO phenomena to shield away from that. I agree. I think the uh, Pentagon has a uh, responsibility to the citizens of the United States to investigate things that they don't know, that they can't identify, uh, just on a chance that it's something uh, coming from another uh, nation that isn't necessarily friendly. They don't necessarily know everything that's being worked on at the Skunk Works, and so the uh, reports that are coming into them may be of things that they don't know. They may be ours. They may be ours, and they know what they are, but then they want to make sure that they control the release of that information because it's a craft that we don't want the Russians and the Chinese to know about. But again, in the book, The Day the Earth Stands Still, we take the approach that we can't explain all of these sightings that way But I think the key to remember is that non-Earth origin doesn't necessarily mean extraterrestrial. And that, I think, is the key distinction. Just because it's not human technology doesn't mean it's extraterrestrial technology. Exactly. There's a strong case to be made for extra-dimensional type of phenomenon here, and we can get more into that. I probably should mention, just for anybody who might be interested in getting the book, if they go to officialdisclosure.com, we have the book with hundreds of dollars, literally hundreds of dollars worth of free materials, DVDs, exclusive interviews, uh, things that you cannot find on Amazon included with this book for only $39.99. So, you, you know, you can you could buy it on Amazon if you only want the book, but if you want to pay just a couple bucks more and get a whole bunch of hundreds of dollars worth of extra books and materials and audio series, go to officialdisclosure.com and you'll find the deal there. But, yeah, exactly like Derek was saying, for all we know, there could be privatized. American companies that the government doesn't really know what they're developing. Maybe they're looking into that. So there's a lot of complexities to this question. Well, Derek and Josh, let me get your reaction to this. Let's say, for example, that we are talking about extraterrestrials and that they do hold the secret to interstellar propulsion, free energy. This is certainly sort of the hope and the dream, the aspirations of many in the ufology community that these extraterrestrials are, I guess, in some measure here to save us from ourselves and they hold the key to, as I say, free energy, a world without disease. Could that stand alongside your Christian worldview? Yeah, that's something we address in the book. And it gets back to what Josh was discussing uh, in the previous hour, when you look at a proper understanding of the verse in chapter 1 of Genesis, where God said, let us create man in our image, being created in God's image doesn't mean that God is a biped that stands about six feet tall. It means <laughs> we are his image bearers, we are his moral agents on earth, his representatives on earth. And if by some chance E.T. from Zeta Reticuli lands on the White House lawn, you know, Klaatu steps out of his saucer with Gort, his robot, that does not change our status as God's imagers on this planet. You know, that would be fantastic if we, if we actually found E.T. existed out there in the universe, 
Not that we believe that there's any concrete evidence that this has actually happened at this point, but if it were to happen, it would not affect and should not affect the faith of Christians at all. And that's one of the main reasons we wrote the book. I'll just add to that question. If they did, if E.T. did have you know, all these wonderful things that they could do to help us out, and maybe they do, what are they waiting for? I mean, if they've been visiting us for thousands of years already and they've always had this, my question would be, what are they waiting for? What do we have to do? Because they haven't clearly spelled it out. And that's why I say this question is more of a religious one in nature, because the same could be asked about God. Well, God is all-powerful, so why do bad things happen to good people? Well, he's provided a way out of that through Jesus Christ. You know, there, there's a clear plan to have some hope after death. Uh, now, there are those who will re reject that, you know, fine, but at least, you know, the plan is there. The existence of these other extra-dimensional entities have some role to play in why bad things happen to good people. It fits within a Christian yeah. worldview. Yes, if, it, if it's extra-dimensional in nature, absolutely. Derek, and I, I'm going to turn that loose on, on Derek. I'm going to let him explain that because he does a better job than I. But if it's extraterrestrial and they have all of these things, well, what's the plan? How do we attain that? Because as far as we know, they've never sent a cohesive radio signal or an email or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being a little flippant about it. But, I mean, they, they've never had any kind of real direct contact. It's always... Uh, something subjective, like uh, telepathy through some seer or something, and then they all have different answers. Well, it's some type of evolvement of humankind, and you got to do what we say, and then you'll eventually get there. But there's no clear plan set in place. Now, if it's the extra-dimensional uh, hypothesis, if that's true, in, in my opinion, in Derek's opinion, and I think to any logical person who looks at all the evidence, uh, there is a clear answer to all of that, and like Derek, uh, like Derek uh, mentioned just a moment ago, they're a part of the problem. They're a part of why we're in this state to begin with. All right, let me throw sort of the same question, but coming at it from the, the opposite end, and that's to Victor. Victor, would it be fair to say that, by and large, in the UFO community, if you make the suggestion or you make the assertion that we are talking about interdimensionals and that they are more than likely, uh, you know, from the demonic realm and that this is all part of a great deception. Would it be fair to say that that particular narrative, that dog won't hunt by and large in the UFO community, or at least you'd get yourself removed from a lot of Christmas card lists? <laughs> That's a good point. Well, the whole interdimensional aspect of this is, is something that I've I've um, I've entertained for a long while. As a matter of fact, Jacques Vallée was the first one who who suggested that kind of narrative. Masters and of deception. That's right. Uh, so that I mean, you, in this in this whole situation, it, it is definitely a battle over worldviews. I mean, we've we've heard uh, all of uh, all of us this evening discuss different worldviews about how this scenario can play out. And it's it's a it's a lot like there's there's two aspects to this. It's a lot like playing a hockey game, um, Richard, uh, with between two teams. Uh, you know, you got one puck, then all of a sudden somebody throws another 15 pucks on the ice, and you got to deal with all these pucks and try to you know try to make sense of the game. Now that you've got 15 pucks instead of just one, and we're in a state of confusion about this. 
So it requires us to come up with some sort of methodology of understanding something much more complex than I think we can ever really possibly, um, with our limited human understanding. It's a lot like, you know, your dog watching you uh, leave for work in the morning, okay? Your dog has no idea where you're going, what you're going to do, uh, when you're coming back. All he knows, he sees you get in, the, in this machine and leave. That's all he knows. He's never going to be able to understand what's really going on. So what happens when some sort of clarity is brought to this issue and that dog realizes that, oh, that's what's going on. That's the kind of thing that I'm hoping for. So if, in fact, the answer comes interdimensionally, whether it becomes, you know, point A to point B within our own, you know, galaxy or somehow uh, through some sort of wormhole in the universe, it really doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is we had better be prepared to deal with the implications of whatever happens, whichever scenario it is. And I think that's the kind of preparation that we need uh, to be talking about here is how will humanity, how will the human family deal with what's really going on, whatever that might be. The only scenario that's not acceptable to me is that we are alone. That, that, that to me is, is uh, th th there's no credence to that issue at all as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but if you look at the other side of that, that argument, the fact that uh, there are other beings out there wherever they're from, I think that's the key issue that we have to deal with and what the implications are of the realization and acknowledgement of that by the human family. All right. Stay put, all of you. We will reassemble in mere moments and uh, continue to discuss what is uh, really shaping up to be one of the, uh, the great stories of uh, 2017 into 2018. The Defense Department's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, the Pentagon's Secret UFO Study. Derek Gilbert, Josh Peck, The Day the Earth Stands Still, Victor Vigiani, Executive Director, Zeland Communications. Back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Here's something I think we can say with certainty, and I know uh, Victor will be delighted with this, and that is that the treatment, this issue, UFOs and ETs, gets in the mainstream media will never be the same. It started with this uh, story, December the 16th, 2017, about this uh, secret Pentagon UFO study. And uh, then there was a, uh, a follow-up piece a couple of uh, weeks later in the New York Times. This was by a senior writer by the name of Dan Barry at the New York Times. Uh, and this was published in the, uh, the New York Times Sunday Review section. He writes, The year now ending has been so laden with tumultuous news that one astounding report in the exhausted final days of 2017 seemed almost routine. That for years, an intelligence official borrowed within the Pentagon, Warren, was running a secret program to investigate reports of unidentified flying objects. Beg your pardon? That scoop by Helene Cooper, Ralph Lumenthal, and Leslie Kane for the New York Times was underscored by a companion article that detailed how in 2004 an oval object played a game of aeronautic hide-and-seek off Southern California with two Navy fighter jets assigned to the aircraft carrier Nimitz. The object then zipped away at a speed so otherworldly that it left one of the Navy pilots later saying he felt, quote, pretty weirded out, end quote, as you might if you watch the video of the encounter that the Department of Defense has made public. 
In considering these reports, my mind turned to all those reasonable people who were dismissed and ridiculed over the years because they believed that something was out there. I thought in particular of believers who had died without savoring these official revelations. Believers like my late father. I can hear what he would have said there at the veterans' home, his broken vessel of a body in a wheelchair, but his mind as quick and bright as a shooting star. I've been saying it for years, he'd assert, followed by a choice epithet he reserved for government officials, followed by, I knew it, then a satisfying drag on a cigarette. Uh, that's uh, Dan Barry writing in the Sunday Review of the New York Times. And again, what strikes me is the serious tone. We are seeing here a sea change. Whatever else we might say, whether this Pentagon um, study was a, is, is, a, is a covert uh, hoax, uh, whether it's legitimate, whether we're talking about extraterrestrials, interdimensionals, one thing we know on the ground, journalism and its treatment of this issue has forever changed. Uh, Derek, Josh, your thoughts? Well, since I uh, overshadowed Derek in the last run, I'll let Derek take this one. <laughs> you got to throw him a bone every now and then. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Josh likes to uh, you know, give the old man a break. Uh, he likes to remind me that my radio career began four years before he was born. So, oh. Um, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> every chance I get. Ouch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, no, I, I think, I, and we would agree, uh, it, it is good to see that this is not being treated as um, a, a joke, because for too long this is a phenomenon that has been uh, used as a kicker story on the evening news. And you'll never yep. believe what so-and-so saw. The, well, okay, no, finally, to see this in the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, Fox News, uh, getting some serious treatment, I think is a good thing. And, uh, again, to, not to, you know, beat this this point too too hard but uh, you know coming at this from a christian perspective josh and i are delighted to see this because yes. we think it's an important subject that christians need to address uh, because it is it is a worldview shaping belief system and i think if you look at the um, uh, again the website of to the stars academy but even before that and this is a subject that josh covered in depth in the book the wikileaks emails released from uh, john podesta's account included several contacts emails from the uh, late dr edgar mitchell uh, sixth man on the moon, very intelligent man, co-founder of the Institute for Noetic Sciences, uh, but one who believed that uh, we had been contacted by uh, extraterrestrials who wanted to share with us the secrets of zero-point energy and um, other wonderful technology as long as we promised to be peaceful in our uh, dealings with the, uh, the contiguous universe. Um, this, I think, is something that we need to address as Christians. Again, as critical thinkers, we need to ask the question, okay, we don't deny, Josh and, and, and me, that, that uh, contactees are hearing from something out there, but how do we vet their claims? How do we verify that these are actually extraterrestrial entities? How do we know they're not lying to us? When they come to us and say, we're here to serve man, how do we know that's not the title of their cookbook? <laughs> well, it is interesting that a number of prominent UFO researchers, Jacques Vallée, uh, I would say uh, Dr. David Jacobs, uh, and then uh, Nick Redfern, uh, who I, I, I think is just a fabulous uh, writer, uh, have all sort of come around to this idea that, you know, to take the, uh, the, the, the steal the title of Jacques Vallée's book, The Masters of Deception, there is an element of deception going on, which sort of leads into, I, I believe, sort of your, your, your understanding of what this issue is all about, that there is a, a level of deception here. 
Right, and I mean the the, the late Carla Turner was on, on on that trajectory as well, and and that, that you know, what what what's really convincing about all this is it's not just a Christian thing, you know. I mean, it, it's people. No, who, Dr. I David Jacobs is is I believe a, is an atheist, if I'm not mistaken, Dr. David Correct. Jacobs. Yeah. Right. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Uh, actually, mo- I, I think most of the, the, the prominent UFO researchers, most of the people who are in the spotlight now, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know of any of them that are actually necessarily Christian. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's one or two, but uh, the, the, the ones that uh, in the UFO com- community, if you were to mention their name, that, you know, they would recognize. Right, L.A. Marzulli um, would be one of the more prominent uh, well, sure. Yeah, yeah. And he's a good friend of ours. And we, we you know, we love L.A. to death. Um, but, I, I, you know, like with people like L.A., like Derek, like myself, people like Joe Jordan, Guy Malone, Gary Bates, there, there's this whole lot of people who, who do subscribe to that. I, I, I think they're probably more well-known in the Christian community than they are yes. in the UFO community. And I might, I might be wrong on that. No, there's um, definitely a schism I'm not there. That they, on any statistics. Yeah, they don't get invited to those uh, those parties. It's, there's a real schism. Wouldn't you agree, yeah. Victor? Oh, for sure. I mean, having been around within this community for a, a, a large number of years, uh, you know, four decades, I've seen this this community uh, become, um, you know, everybody becomes a whipping boy at some point. Uh, no matter what feature of this whole issue you you espouse, somebody jumps all over your back uh, on what, at one point or another to um, either advance their own theory or denigrate uh, the one that you're trying to put forward. And right. If you have the wrong opinion, that, suddenly you're Majestic 12. Of course, right. yeah. And you're, you're categorized uh, as, as uh, well, I don't know what you want to know what the, the categories really are, but the fact of the matter is is that you become ostracized for one reason or another. And so what happens is, you know, people take this this middle ground approach just to just to uh, remove themselves from the scathing ridicule of their of their so-called colleagues. Uh, I think uh, you know you really have to run up the middle with this whole idea and say, listen, folks, let's just stand back here and see what's really going on and and quit trying to advance your own personal view of this whole thing. And that's why I think some of the really good um, researchers in, in this area, namely uh, people that I respect highly, uh, like Richard Dolan and and even and, and Steve Bassett and and Grant Cameron, our our, our Canadian cohort here, um, th- these people are, are trying to get at. Uh, <laughs> it sounds banal. They're trying to get at the truth, and they're trying to unravel yeah. a very very tangled ball of string. So it's quite clear that um, the dialogue going on within the UFO community is just as, 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 as caustic as the dialogue going on inside of some of these intelligence agencies as to what we should do in terms of compartmentalization and all of that. So we're really the victim of our own demise. All right, we'll uh, pick this up on the other side. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett continues in mere moments. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. I'm sure there's an interesting backstory, uh, which you know we'll save for, for another time, but, um, uh, and that is how uh, Blumenthal, Cooper, and Leslie Kane managed to get this story into the, into the, um, the Sunday New York Times. I mean, that must, that, that must have been a Herculean uh, effort. It must have taken, I'm guessing, years. Uh, what do you think, uh, Derek? Well, it's uh, it's curious again that the the New York Times and uh, you know other mainstream media sources have uh, decided to pick up and run 
with the uh, the story. And I am just old enough and skeptical enough to again ask the question: Is there something going on there that that we need to poke at a little bit harder? Um, you know, it's it's funny how uh, many of us will be skeptical of the mainstream media until they publish something that we agree with that kind of confirms our existing bias. Um, you know, oh, they finally noticed the story, so now we finally got validation. Well, yeah, but two weeks ago we were complaining that they never print anything that uh, you know that that any real news regarding what the government's up to. So, uh, you know, I, I guess my question is, why now? Why is this suddenly become an acceptable topic for? the mainstream media to cover where it wasn't previously. And that's a question I honestly don't have a good answer for at this point. Well, part of the maybe, well, the, maybe the clue is the fact that the, 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 the response from their readership was so tremendous uh, that, you know, for a, a newspaper that is trying to figure out what the next business model is, mm-hmm. you know, maybe... Maybe again, that's very cynical. Maybe that's part of the equation. What do you well, think, Josh? This is the kind of story you only see covered by the red tops in the UK, like the uh, you know the Sun and the Star and the Express. So uh, you know, I don't know. I, not to not to cast aspersions on them or to suggest that the New York Times is going that direction, but uh, it, it is interesting because those uh, stories are clickbait, no question. Uh, Victor, do you want to jump in? Uh, do you know any of the, I mean, you, you've talked to Leslie Kane. Do you know any of the backstory mm-hmm. here? How she managed, I mean, how long, what was involved in getting the New York really, Times? Obviously yeah, a lot I of vetting. Yeah, I, I can't say specifically, Richard. Uh, I have not spoken to Leslie about it. I have spoken to Leslie about other things, uh, you know, some time ago, but I, I have no way of knowing, you know, what really motivated and what the mechanics were as to how the, how the editorial staff, um, uh, you know, at, at that particular uh, uh, newspaper, decided to do this. Um, I, the image in my mind is that if you recall the, the the movie All the President's Men, and Ben Bradley and Catherine Graham were sitting in in the in the room in the editorial room and tossing around the idea of whether or not to go with Woodward and Bernstein's story, and there was a huge silence. And I forget which one of them said it, but one of them said, "Let's go for it." And I think it was just made like a, almost a flip of a coin. And th- this could be that spontaneous. It could be so, okay, I think the time is now. I think the time, the evidence is there. The dialogue is there. We've got the, we've got all the backup stories from, from people that are involved in this. And you can, you can bet that there's other corroboration going on too. So I think, uh, as was mentioned earlier, that, that there's something going on behind the scenes where the, this is not just a whale kind of, you know, surfacing a little bit. It's almost like a breach. And once that breach is recognized by the rest of the media, uh, there, there's, just, there's no way this thing is going to be stopped. And it's going to be definitely a sea change as to how uh, the general public gets to view this. If, if the media continues a sustained amount of coverage, that's the whole key. This, this cannot be just a story that you know, rises and falls as, as a flag might in the morning. Uh, this, this flag has to fly for a long time in order to be considered serious. And I think that good journalism... And I think if Leslie's involved in it, she will propel this thing forward, even if her own, uh, you know, sentiment is, is countered by any other journalistic uh, approach. She will find a way to get this thing to the surface because she is probably one of the best at, um, uh, at at manipulating this issue to the front to the front pages of newspapers. You know, destined by her book, they rose to number twenty-nine on the New York Times bestseller list. That's got to tell you something right there. Uh, Derek and Josh, the fact that they, the Pentagon, uh, spent initially anyway just $22 million, uh, if this was of such import, uh, you know, delving into this, 
uh, if what is at stake is potentially, you know, the answers to most of our existential questions and, and perhaps even things like free energy, why just $22 million? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, that, that doesn't seem like a whole lot. Well, I, I, I'm going to say my little quick thing, and then I'm going to pass it off to Derek. But um, uh, kind of going in with the, the, the last question, and he, here's he, – here's, I, I, I joke with Derek about his age, and, you know, we laugh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm like a young whippersnapper who won't get off his lawn, and, you know, he, he's like some old guy. But, no, seriously, um, uh, Derek's been a, a, an amazing inspiration to me, a big source of information, to say the absolute least. You know, I didn't grow up with a dad or anything, and – you know, uh, Derek's done a lot to, to fill a lot of those roles. Okay, I don't want to get too mushy into it. But the main point being, I don't remember a time in my life where I've watched the news. You know, I'm only, I'm only 33. I'm relatively young. I don't remember a time in my life where I've watched the news and the UFO phenomenon, alien abduction, anything with that has actually been taken seriously by the mainstream media. Just has never happened. Now, maybe... Uh, because I'm, I'm too young to know, maybe this is part of the cycle. Maybe there has been times in the past where this has been taken seriously, and you know, may, maybe it's like a waning and waxing kind of thing. Yeah, for about 24 I, I hours know, in I, Roswell I in 1947. To, to Derek and the rest of you for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, uh, you, you ask a really good question, Richard. You know, why just 22 million dollars if the UFO, if the UFO phenomenon is something that the Pentagon wanted to take seriously? Because uh, uh, as we've learned over the past couple of years, and, and maybe you know, you remember back in 2001, just before uh, 9/11, on 9/10, then Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld said they couldn't find something like two and a half trillion dollars mm-hmm. in the Defense Department budget. But uh, just last year, uh, and th- it was disclosed that the uh, Defense Department was missing something like six trillion in just one quarter which is why the uh, Trump administration has announced it's going to start auditing the Department of Defense for the first time ever. So $22 million is a drop in the bucket when you're talking about, you know, a, 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 an, an organization so huge that it can lose $6 trillion in unauthorized adjustments to its books in one quarter of one year alone. Um, is it simply, uh, and Jason Colavito, who, who tracks things like this with, with a skeptical eye, uh, and does an excellent job at it from that standpoint. Uh, is it just simply that, that the former Senator Harry Reid, who got this into the Defense Department budget, is buddies with Robert Bigelow? Because as the New York Times reported, most of it went to Robert Bigelow. Mm-hmm. And that's something you have to pick up carefully as you're reading through the article, but uh, it might just be him throwing a bone to a political supporter. I mean, I think, I, think I can add something to this conversation now in terms of $22 million with the Pentagon. I think we have to look at other organizations, uh, specifically NASA, uh, who knows that these things are coming and going with impunity. Uh, they see these fast walkers come and go. That's uh, some of the information that, uh, uh, that's been related to me. That's number one and the kind of money that they're expending to expose this because Leslie Kane did, in fact, sue, successfully sue NASA for their documents about the Kecksburg incident back in 1965. That's, that's number right. one. Mm-hmm. Number two, um, I have information from NORAD directly the NORAD commander and Richard will uh, back me up on this one because I released this information back in 2016 the NORAD commander sent me a threatening letter 
indicating that anyone in possession of information about uh, these unknown tracks and dis- the distribution of this information could be indicted uh, against the National Security Act. And he admitted at the bottom of the letter that NORAD, over the past five years, has an average of 1,800 contacts with craft of unknown, um, unknown identity. And number two, over the last five years, they have an average of 75 intercepts. This is stated in a letter directly to me by the NORAD commander. So there's a whole lot of other stuff that's going on, not just just Pentagon uh, uh, dabbling in this with $22 million. Well, that's, that's a really good point, Victor. I mean, the $22 million is all that was officially reported. Uh, again, when you're missing $6 trillion per quarter from the budget, how much of that is just being slushed around to cover this sort of, uh, uh, this sort of exactly. investigation? Right. Yeah, the $22 million, I mean, the Pentagon, this is an organization that spends $100,000 on a hammer. <laughs> so $22 million <laughs> should cover postage and letterhead, I, I would think. Um, let me ask you, Derek uh, and Josh, uh, we just have a, a few minutes here, but if you had Luis Alessandro in a room right now, uh, rattle off a couple of questions you'd ask him. Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, I, I've actually seen a couple of posts he's put on the public fora, and he seems to be sincere. Um, at least that's that's the public persona that he's put forward. Um, I, I guess I would ask, you know, why are you going public with this now? What what convinced you to leave government service and pursue this in the private sector? Uh, I'd I'd want to know that. Well, he seemed to answer that I think in his resignation letter to General Mattis, he said he just got fed up with the secrecy. But why not do it through MUFON? Why take a for-profit uh, position? Ah, with a I see what you're like saying. Yep. Interesting point. All right, Josh, did you want to th- um, add one as well? A question? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably go along with Derek on that. I mean, and anytime I interview somebody, and I, I, I do this for a living, uh, I host a show called Into the Multiverse. I frequently co-host Skywatch TV with Derek. Uh, we, we've interviewed, oh, I, I, I wouldn't even know how many people now. My main interest is to know what their bias is. Bias isn't like a negative, evil, bad word. Everybody has one. You know, everyone, I have one, you have one, everyone's going to have one. I'm interested to know what that is, and then, okay, what's the information that you have, what's the facts, and how is that filtered through your bias? Uh, that, that's what I would want to know first, because uh, I don't know anything about him. I, I, I don't know... Uh, I, I don't know his upbringing. I don't know his religious affiliation, if there is any. Um, I, I don't know what he believes about science. I know nothing about him. I would want to know that first because that's going to tell me more about the information he provides than really the objective information itself. All right, Victor, uh, a, quick, a quick question. I, I would for want a, to know that. Okay. Your, your question to Alessandro would be what, Victor? My question would be, uh, why did you, similar to what I just heard a moment ago, but why would you have done this direction in terms of releasing this information in a dialogue with, uh, with Tom DeLong? Why wouldn't you have sat down with a recognized journalist or a news agency, some, something like CBS or NBC or ABC, whatever, and sat down and do a tell-all uh, with with a news organization that could bring this stuff forward full force without questioning anybody's motives about, you know, investments and and, and the other things that are going on uh, with the To the Stars Academy, why wouldn't he have done it in a more pristine way to really convince the general public that he was serious about telling the story in in a proper way? 
Well, gentlemen, that is a wrap on uh, our two-hour roundtable discussion. And uh, once again, I just want to mention and thank Derek Gilbert, Josh Peck, The Day the Earth Stands Still. Gentlemen, how do we get the book? Official disclosure. Well, you can go to... (laughs) I had a feeling that was going to happen. Since I did the first pitch, Derek, I'll let you take this one. <laughs> uh, officialdisclosure.com. Just click on the link there, and that'll get you to the best deal. Uh, you can find it at Amazon, of course, but we got a really good deal through uh, Skywatch TV, and that's linked at officialdisclosure.com. And how can we watch you on Skywatch TV? Skywatchtv.com or the Skywatch TV channel on Roku, Apple TV, or uh, the Skywatch TV mobile app. Derek and Josh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Victor, how do we um, read your dispatches at Zeland Communications? Well, once again, just Google the uh, our moniker, Zeland Communications, and just Google that, and you'll come up with uh, our blog site with all of our press releases and editorials. Victor, thank you again, my friend. A pleasure, as always. Ian Robertson, Albert Vinzel, Ryan White, thank you all. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Thanks, North. Good night. Thank you.